Well, I, I have to tell you that I had an absolutely fantastic geography teacher when I was at school. He was undoubtedly one of the best teachers I've ever had. In fact, he was someone who was featured in a national campaign when they were trying to recruit new teachers because everyone thought he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but he did periodically tell his classes things that were false. So, for example, uh, various classes were taught that cliff erosion was mostly caused by seagulls landing on the cliffs with their little feet. Uh, or that the reason why the world was tilted on, an axis, on its axis is because there's a billion people in China, you know, and they pull the weight of the world down. Uh, or that uh, there are two, technically, there are only two kinds of towns, big towns and small towns. Uh, and he was having some fun with us, and that was all very good. But I, I think that uh, he was trying to do that in part to say, look, don't just take everything I say uh, at face value. Even though I'm a teacher, you know, you should be checking what I'm saying. You shouldn't just take it at what, what we might call face value. Uh, to be clear, just in case any of you are worried, he did go back and correct those things. Although we did used to see notes on his desk reminding himself to do it, which was a bit worrying, you know, must remember to tell the fifth years that seagulls don't cause cliff erosion or whatever. Um, but it really got you thinking. It really got you thinking. Um, that is not the kind of false teaching Jude is talking about here, just to be clear. So we are in the second week of the book of Jude and uh, looking at what the Bible's been telling us about how we are kept by God. And for a very quick recap, just for a moment, on what we looked at last week, uh, we saw that uh, Jude, uh, the author of this book, was one of Jesus' half-brothers, that he'd been writing to Christians generally, although we think he, he had maybe a couple of churches specifically in mind when he was writing this. And he was writing to encourage the Christians to contend for their faith, to tell them that they are kept in the love of God, but they need to fight for the faith against false teachers who had crept into the, into the church. And we thought about how God uh, keeps us from false teachers so that we can contend for the faith, thinking about the, the features of these false teachers, uh, what the fate of, for these false teachers would be, and how we could fight them. And uh, that's on the, the website if you want to check it out from, from last week. So this week uh, we are starting from verse 17, and we're going to think about four main points. Uh, we're going to, th and you can see those in the program there. Uh, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to take notes. Uh, predicting false teaching, uh, protecting ourselves, pulling victims from the fire, and praising the God who keeps us. So, predicting false teaching, that's in verses 17 to 19. Protecting ourselves, verses 20 to 21. Pulling victims from the fire, verses 22 and 23. And praising the God who keeps us verses 24 25 and overall i hope that what what we will see is that god keeps christians in his love so we can love him and others god keeps christians in his love so we can love him and others well let's dig in let's get in here uh, verses 17 to 19 again jude, jude you can just hear his heart jude addresses the people as dear friends perhaps indicating a bit of a, a change of pace from the from the condemnation of the False teachers in the first part now to encouragements to the church in the second, in the second part. Uh, and he, he, he's talking about, uh, you can see there, um, 
verse 18, the, the apostles had said, that they said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Um, uh, the word apostles there? Yeah, who, who is this who, is this who, who uh, Jude is, is, is pointing us towards? Uh, the apostles were people who had uh, been with Jesus throughout his ministry. They'd seen his baptism. They'd seen his, his three years of miracles and teaching. And he had, uh, they'd been there at his death. They'd seen his resurrection. They'd encountered him after the resurrection. And they had been commissioned personally by him to take his teaching, what we, what we would call the word, the gospel, what we now know as the Bible, to, to the world. And that's what they did. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 1, it gives us a, a little summary. Uh, the apostle uh, Peter, who is an apostle, is talking about what the definition for an apostle might be. He says, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from Jesus' baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So one of these men should become an apostle, is what he's saying. And that's why there's no such thing as an apostle today. Right? I mean, there's nobody alive now who was there at Jesus' baptism. There's nobody alive now who saw Jesus' death or his resurrection or him being taken up into heaven. Uh, but this is important for this verse because what Jude is saying is that the apostles have been given authority by Jesus to lead the church. He's taught them. He, he, Jesus taught the apostles how to interpret the Bible, what it meant to be a, a Christian. Con contrast that with last week where the false teachers were just drawing on their own authority, perhaps the authority they got in dreams. Well, they've spread the good news about Jesus and one of the things they've taught is that there will be false teachers in the church okay yeah no, no maybe about it there will be false teachers who we encounter that's something the apostles taught that's something jesus himself taught i'm just going to give you three examples now you can scribble down the the passage if you want you don't have to turn there now but i'll, I'll read them to you matthew chapter 7 verse 15 this is jesus he says so that's matthew chapter 7 15 he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Or in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul wrote, uh, 2 Timothy verse 3, excuse me, Paul wrote, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to, this is a great phrase, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. There's a great definition of, of false teaching right there. Or Peter, the, the, uh, uh, Peter himself wrote about them in the book of Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Peter wrote this, But there were also false prophets among you, excuse me, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you 
with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Jude is saying in, in verses 17 and 18 here, you can rely on God's word transmitted by the apostles. And one of the things say, they said is you will find false teachers. You will hear false teachers, whether personally or in the church. They're motivated by their natural instincts. There is nothing of the Spirit of God in them. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when so you might find uh, someone perhaps uh, in a book or online or, or maybe even in church putting forward ideas that do not agree with the bible not being surprised being, being on guard against it fighting against it we talked about that last week not being intimidated by it so we know that false teaching we can we can say yes false teaching is going to crop up we can we can predict it will come up in our lives in the church so what we can do what can we do our second point protect to protect ourselves how can we protect ourselves we go to the doctor don't we and say uh, i'm going to a very warm uh, country somewhere will you give me a jab to uh, inoculate us against diseases in that country ideally in our arm uh, but you know tell us tell us you know you know inject us against malaria yellow fever dengue fever whatever else and jude very helpfully points us in the right direction for for that here um have you seen these these online the list of superfoods you know, the superfood superfoods you see them in various various uh, magazine articles and online that kind of thing foods that are really 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 good for you now here's one list top 10 if any of you uh, you know um, are going to go home tonight you might find some of these and rustle up a quick meal um avocados broccoli blue presumably not in the same meal by the way so avocados broccoli blueberries a flax seed salmon onions wheatgrass garlic quinoa and kale uh, they all keep colds away they're all very good for us they all build us up and we know that don't we i mean we you know you know that kind of food is food is good for you i know that kind of good food is good for me do i eat them all no do i go down to the chip shop after the service yes this another so i totally agree with the concept but i just do other things and so this is, is kind of like the things Jude is going to be talking about here. I know they are true, but I was convicted when I'm writing this. I do not do them enough. I do not have a healthy diet that Jude is going to describe for us here. Jude is saying that, that we're going to be, that we can keep ourselves in the love of God. You can see that there, verse 21. You could express that in different ways. Uh, I, I would define it as uh, to say that we firmly believe in the love expressed to us through the grace God gives us. Uh, could, you could come up with other definitions, I'm sure. Um, and although the so we're going to be we're going to keep ourselves in God's love, um, but if you remember from last week, it said up there uh, in verse one that we are kept by god or if you look down into 
the pages have stuck together. Mm. If you look down in verse uh, 24, to him, God, who is able to keep you. So we have to be careful here that there is a, a sense in which God keeps us, yet we have a personal responsibility of being kept in the love of God as well. Uh, it would be easy to be starting to teach what the false teachers taught that we were talking about last week, that the grace of God is sufficient. It means you can do whatever you want. You just have to sit back and do whatever you want to, sin as much as you want to. You have no responsibility. No, we have to be clear. We have responsibility for our lives and how we live them. So we, we have a responsibility to be kept in the love of God, but also God is going to keep us. The two things go together. You cannot have one without the other. You have to have, you have, to have both. Um, so, go back to verses 20 and 21. Uh, look with me there. The word order is a little confusing. It's got a little bit mixed up there. Um, basically, what is happening is Jude is saying, here are three ways you can protect yourself from false teaching to keep yourself in the love of God. You can do three ways. Building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting patiently for the return of Christ. So let, let's think about building ourselves up in the faith. Building yourself up, not talking about superfoods again, yeah? not talking about uh, eating good stuff and exercising lots to, to put on a good gun show or anything like that. You know, No, it's not that kind of building up. It's building ourselves up in the faith. Uh, there's a bit of an analogy though you know we need a good diet when we're building ourselves up we need to be reading the bible we need to be listening to encouraging and, and challenging messages that are based on the word of god we need to be having conversations with our our brothers and sisters in christ um, also we need to exercise by worshiping our most holy god serving in good works prepared in advance for us to do telling others about Jesus. Luke described this a couple of weeks ago as, as a combination of love, truth, and obedience all, all wrapped in together. I thought that was really helpful. Uh, and we have different opportunities to do those. Each of our lives is different. We, we are uh, busy with different things in our lives. Um, but all of us will have an opportunity to do some of that on a day other than Sunday. Sunday, we do a lot of that stuff. But we have the opportunities throughout the weeks in different ways to build ourselves up in that way, in this faith. Uh, we saw how uh, last week that faith uh, in verse 3 was uh, from, um, that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. So building ourselves up in that faith. Uh, secondly, uh, another way we can protect ourselves, another way we can inoculate ourselves, is with prayer. It says there, prayer in the Holy Spirit. Nothing weird or mystical about, about the phrase in the Holy Spirit. This is reminding us to align our prayers with God's own will. To line up what, we, what we're praying with God's will. And reminding us as well that, that if you're a Christian, that we have the Holy Spirit in us, who's going to interpret our prayers to God as well, who's going to help us as we are praying. Compare that to the false teachers. It says, it says here, they, they, they do not have the Holy Spirit. Their prayers are not prayers in the, in the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us to, to pray on all occasions. What, how many occasions are included in the word all? All occasions. Um, so large groups, small groups, in the, in the home, uh, when you're in the supermarket, uh, when you're in the car, just remember if you're driving, keep your eyes open when you're doing that. You, you, you're allowed to keep your eyes open for that. Uh, formally, informally, using a language which is very uh, flowery, using a language which is just very straightforward, um, using the language of the Bible, just using the, uh, the language of your own agony, of what you're praying about. You know, we're all called to pray that way, to keep ourselves in the will of God, as he's keeping us in his love. Number three, waiting patiently. Waiting patiently for the return of Christ. Uh, Jude's not talking here about waiting patiently in the queue in the supermarket. Uh, Jude is not talking here about waiting patiently in the traffic on Bank Holiday Monday. It's not that sort of patience. It's something very specific. Jude's talking about waiting for the return of Jesus. Uh, you remember that uh, if you go back that just just uh, dip back up the, to there um, you will see it says uh, that the apostles had said that in the la- verse 18 in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires the last times is a phrase that that christians in the first century would have used as being the time between when jesus rose from the dead and the time when he comes again so the last times or the last days And Jude is talking about living in these last days, but living with an eternal perspective, living knowing that Jesus is coming back. So the Christians, when we we are living, we're living our lives, we do not live without hope. We do not live with that British stiff upper lip, you know, yes, uh, I'm okay because I've got a strong cup of tea and we are uh, working our way through and everything will be great and hopefully in my life I have made a difference somewhere. Marvellous. Not talking about that. Christians live with a real living hope. We receive mercy every day. That is true. We receive mercy as we ask God to forgive us for our sins but when Jesus comes back we are going to receive an incredible batch of mercy an incredible forgiveness as we stand before jesus and he reads out the things we've done wrong and it is going to be a really really long list and we are going to be feeling like the the earth is going to swallow us at that point and then he's going to pronounce his verdict and if you're a christian that verdict will be not guilty. I have already paid the price for all that. I have served your sentence. And so we wait as people who anticipate that mercy. We anticipate the sudden, unanticipated return of Jesus, King of the world, Lord of the universe, in glory and power and majesty and authority and with great joy for his followers and great despair for the false teachers and great despair for those who have rejected Jesus. 
Christians see our lives as lives with it through a lens, through a lens with the truth of that great hope of the return of Jesus, with a sense of being in those last days. That is the patient waiting that Jude is talking about there. Well, we've talked about uh, predicting false teaching and that we can protect ourselves and the church against false teaching. However, more practically, we might find ourselves in a situation where we can help people who have experienced false teaching or who may be experiencing false teaching right now. And this is our third point about pulling victims out of the fire. How do we respond when we come across people who say, oh yes, I've been taught this, dot, 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 in church. Jesus commands us to love one another. How can we best love people in that situation? Well, Jude helpfully lists out three kinds of people uh, who, we can, who we can help in that way. Um, everything in Jude is threes. Three of this, three of that, three of that, three of that. He's just obsessed with threes. Um, you can see that in verse 22. Uh, it lists out three kinds of people who've been negatively influenced by, by false teaching. Uh, this would equally apply to, to yourself if you think you have been in the past influenced by false teaching. This might be helpful as well. Uh, first of all, verse 22, he says, uh, Be merciful to those who doubt. There are many people who have uh, perhaps become Christians or, or they're having their hearts stirred about Christianity, and then somebody has taught them something weird, something not helpful, something that's not in the Bible, and it stirred up doubts in their heart. They've doubted whether God is really good and has their best intentions, whether Jesus really did rise from the dead, whether we really do have to turn our life over to him to follow him. Jude says we are to be merciful to them what does that mean first of all be gentle with them in galatians it says how we're to restore people gently be gentle with them this is not their fault this is not something to beat them up about so be gentle point them towards the bible point them towards the word of god as, as one pastor said let the word of god do the work you don't have to explain everything in great detail point them towards the passages where the truth is point towards the passages that encourage them Pray with them. Pray with them. You might actually find you can pray some of the truth and teaching you're wanting to give them in the prayer that you pray with them. As we're trying to get over that faith that we were talking about. Point them towards a good Bible-believing church where the gospel is taught and modelled. Where they can be in community with other believers. We do this together. It is a team sport. That is a great antidote for false teaching. And doing those things will greatly help people who have doubts in that way. I would encourage you to do that. However, Jude's second category of person is someone who is, you can see there, save others by snatching them from the fire. They are still in the fire. I take by that as an analogy of they are still experiencing a very damaging false teaching. What do we do? 
pull them out of the fire. I, 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 you know, there, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of no compromise here. I hope you're, you're never in a situation where you find someone who, who is literally on fire. But I'm sure if they are, you're going to throw water on them. You're going to reach for a fire extinguisher. You're going to roll them in a blanket or something to, to try and put the fire out. You're not going to say, excuse me, um, could I, can I just take a moment? I don't want to interrupt. Can I just take a moment, just of your time, to, to tell you about something? Oh, I hope you're not offended. I hope you're not very offended. They put the fire out. If someone is experiencing false teaching, try to get them away from the source of the false teaching. Whatever that is, the books, the TV, the internet, the, the, the blog, whatever it may be. And importantly, replace it with good teaching. Point them towards the places to go where there is good teaching, where they can get filled up. Because if you create a vacuum, it may very well be that just more bad stuff gets, gets pulled into it. Um, it may even be that you're urging them to leave the church that they're in and go to another church. Now, this is this is very delicate situation and very important. Normally speaking, we would not say to someone, go up to people in other churches and say, hey, go to another church. Or more usually, hey, come to my church. You know, um, we don't want to be sheep rustlers in that way, if you know the analogy I'm giving you there. This is a last resort, but where you know that that person is receiving significant false teaching, that cannot be taken lightly. This very helpfully came up in our life group last week. What should somebody, what should we do for someone who is in a church experiencing that? What can we advise them? Number one, advise them to, to first of all, very respectfully say to the teacher, you were teaching this, you've been teaching this, I don't believe that's what it says in the Bible. Or tell me why you think that, because I think the Bible says this. If they cannot or they will not change that view, if they're stuck to it, then again you can say, well, look, go and talk to the other leaders in that church. Just say, hey, the guy on Sunday was teaching this. Um, I think the Bible teaches something different to that. Can we talk about that? Can we have that conversation? However, if the teaching continues, the best thing they can do is is respectfully and and with care and, and love for that church, leave it and find a Bible-preaching church. And if you find yourself where you've got one of your friends or family who's in that situation, we, any of the elders here would love to tell you a little bit about how, a bit more about how to think about what churches to go to and recommend some to you, perhaps. Remember, we're not talking about minor differences. We're not talking about, um, what did we say last week, Balaam's donkey and what he said. That's just my stuff. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the the critical issues that are in the Bible. And I'm sure you can come up with other ways. You You can encourage someone who's in that situation. But thirdly, Jude writes that we should, to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Uh, And here we're talking about people who have not doubters, not people who have uh, perhaps in experiencing some false teaching. These are folks who've taken on board the false teaching hook, line, and sinker. They are so far in it, it is unbelievable. It might actually be some of the false teachers themselves. 
Judah's saying, show them mercy. Try to bring them away from that false teaching, but be careful. Be even afraid, because they are in a situation where they might actually try to put that false teaching into your heart. Uh, do not negotiate with it. Do not compromise on it. It is to be feared and even there, he says, hated. Uh, we can see that kind of thing, that kind of principle set out in the Bible in a couple, couple of ways, but uh, I chose to go back to the book of Zechariah that Sarah helpfully read out for us there. So keeping your finger in Jude, whichever finger you want, keep your finger in Jude, page, uh, we're in 1232, flick back to page 950 and 951, Zechariah. And we, we're in chapter 3 there. So um, just, while you do, you, well, just while you're finding that, now this was a vision written about by a guy called Zechariah, hence the name, uh, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. But you're going to notice, hopefully you've already noticed, some, some similarities in the phrases used with what was in Jude. He's talking about uh, a vision, so he's had a dream, a vision, of someone called Joshua. Joshua is the high priest. It's his job to go into the temple to pray on behalf of all the people of all the Jewish people. And what's happening is that Zacharias sees this, but he sees the spiritual reality. He doesn't just see the physical reality. He's, what he's seeing is that Joshua is standing before the Lord and he's on trial. He's on trial and he's wearing filthy garments. He's wearing filthy robes. Next to him is Satan who is accusing him. That's one of Satan's roles, by the way, is he accuses God's people. The judge is an angel of the Lord. And God rebukes Satan. You see that there? He says, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Same language. God has snatched Joshua from the fire. So he says Satan has got no right to accuse him. But then look, look further down that passage that Sarah read. Not only does God rescue Joshua, he takes away his dirty clothes. He takes away his filthy clothes. And in this passage, that, that represents sin. That re represents Joshua's sin. And instead, he gives him, you can see there, clean clothes, which represent righteousness. So when, when Jude is using the same kind of language, he may have even read Zechariah that morning in his quiet time before he started reading the letter, we, we don't know. Jude's saying, show mercy to the victim of false teaching. I tried to restore him, but with fear because he's sunk, they're sunk really deep into this teaching and they may raise doubts in you. Hate the stained garment, hate the sin that that person has. But try to point them towards the gospel so that that can be removed and so that clean clothing, God's righteousness, can be given to them. And this is a, this is a very moving picture. This is a very moving picture for, for us as Christians. This is a picture of what... God does when Jesus calls someone to become a Christian. We are all wearing those dirty clothes, those, those filthy garments that, that is stained by our wrongdoing and our bad thoughts, our, our lack of action to do good things. 
the way we, we, even the way we think about ourselves. When, when Zachariah's writing about stained clothes, I, I, Denise gets, poor kid, she gets, she gets driven crazy by me because I do occasionally spill my dinner down my shirt. Okay, it does, you know, grease stain. I'll tell you some stories about that. We're not talking about those kind of stains. That is not the kind of stained garment we're talking about here. Think about something that's been buried in your garden for 10 years. Think about something that the last three generations of your family has used to clean the drains out. This is the kind of garment we're talking about. We're talking about something disgusting and filthy. And we are standing before God wearing that. How do you feel? You know how you would feel if you were standing before the good holy God of the universe wearing something like that. You're going to feel ashamed. The shame doesn't even begin to capture it. We're going to want to cover our faces. We're going to want to hide. He is going to be super angry, rightfully so. What right have we to turn up before a holy God dressed like that? We have no place in his presence dressed like that. And he doesn't throw us out. He doesn't throw us out, although he should do, although he has every right to. No, Jesus walks up up beside us in his pure, clean, beautifully fitting, very expensive clothing. And amazingly, he takes our filthy garment off and puts it on and he gives us his clean garment to put on ourselves. And God says, now you are properly dressed to stand before me. Now your heart is clean enough to stand before me. We could not make that change. We cannot make that change. Only Jesus can make that change. This is a picture of what Jesus does. When we believe in him as our saviour and when we turn our lives around to live a life to try to please him. And this is one reason why Christians praise God. Number four, our fourth point, we are praising the God who keeps us. Any Christian quickly realises that uh, it's only the action of God that allows us to stand in his presence. And that is why we praise our God. Let's turn back to Jude. Hope you didn't take your finger out there. If you did, we're on page one, two, three, two. Verse 24. To him who is able to what? To keep you from stumbling. To do what? To present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God keeps us in his love. We've got a responsibility to keep ourselves in his love and he's going to keep us in his love. He keeps us from stumbling so that we can be presented like Joshua in that vision we just, we just liked out properly before a holy God. Blameless. With no blame attached to us. No sin attached to our name. Christians are presented to God that is face to face with the sovereign Lord of creation. And we will experience, verse 24, great joy. Take that best moment, the most exciting thing that has ever happened in your life. Multiply it by a thousand and that does still not conjure up the joy you will feel when you are presented to God on that time. Isn't that worthy of praise? Isn't that worthy of just lifting up the name of God, of, of singing, of prayers, blessing his name? 
Because of that, we praise God. Because of that, Christians join with Jude and say, yes, all glory belongs to God. Uh, there is nothing glorious in us, and yet he has chosen to let us share in his glory. All majesty belongs to God. He is the king. He is the sovereign. He is the ruler of the universe. Uh, he has always ruled. He always will rule. Uh, all dominion, you might think of territory, uh, is what dominion means he is the ruler of all of universe he's created it he sustains it moment moment by moment it all belongs to him the stars the black hole the earth mars everything in it me and you all authority he can do what he wants it is everything he wills will come into effect it is certain no ifs no buts and he's been like that from the beginning of time he's like that on the 29th of april 2018 and he's going to be like that forever he has kept us in his love what a staggering god we serve so we've looked at predicting about false teaching we've looked at protecting ourselves pulling victims from the fire and how that drives us to praise the God who keeps us. I hope you've also had a sense from all those points that these are examples of how God is keeping Christians in his love so that we can love him and others. And Jesus told us specifically to do that. You don't have to turn there. In Mark chapter 12, this is what Jesus said. I'll read this to you. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's a high calling. That is a very high calling. That is not an easy thing to do. And so we will work at it. God, gives, God keeps us in his love so that we can love. We work at being in God's love so we can love. Why? Because we love him because he first loved us. Let's pray and praise him some more.